Welcome to the Go To Thrive Podcast, the place to inspire people in the workplace and go to thrive. Mary Jane Roy and Vivian Aqua want to make happiness the new norm and offer solutions to create higher engagement in the workplace. We welcome Sambrita Moitra to today's podcast. Sambrita is a transformation expert and a thought leader on how each and every one of us can transform our presence, impact, and legacy. She will share with us how this is relevant to an organization culture. Sambrita, welcome with, uh, to the Go to Thrive podcast. Can you share with us something about who you are? Tell our audience who Sambrita is. That's such an existential question to start with. <laughs> who am I? I think I'll spend my whole life discovering that. Well, I'm someone who's very curious and who's on a path of discovery. I feel that the older I get, the more I feel like I have to know and learn. And what I'm fascinated by is people. I'm fascinated by people. And what is it that people identify themselves with? Because the topic of identity and the topic of how you want to be seen, how you want to be remembered, how you want people to feel. They reflect who we are, but so often people identify or real forget about these very essential core questions and they identify themselves with a job title and a bullet list of skill sets. And I want to break that identity, that break that, that uh, focus that a job title defines you or a bullet list of requirements define you and try to find and discover and unlock what are the true core values that we stand for. And what is it that we really, how do we really give value to people around us, whether in personal, mostly professional life. But I think who you are in your career also defines who you are as a person. I don't believe that you leave your, there is no two different sides of you at home and at work. I believe you carry them around everywhere you go. And thus it's a reflection of who you are when you work. So that's what I'm fascinated by. And that's what my work is about, discovering how will people transform their identity. Samrita, thank you for sharing that. It reminds me of the book, Bringing Your Whole Self to Work, what you just said. So maybe it's okay. something that you need to, need to look at that. Yeah, I'm going to write this book down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what was your motivation to move into the areas of transforming our presence? I think this is what I've been about since I was five years old. I just didn't have a word for it. This is something that has fascinated me in people around me, in my family and colleagues, friends, people I look up to. How did they persevere? How did they, how did they transform their presence? How did they become a timeless legacy? Where did they get the, in, the, the determination and, and the drive and the focus from? Motivation comes and goes, but drive, determination, and focus, that's unwavering. So I've always been fascinated by that. And looking around me, I used to think, can we be the same? What's the difference between me? And what is really the difference between me and Nelson Mandela? What is the difference between me and, I don't know, Malala? And I'm not saying I'm as uh, those people are selfless, but I wonder what is really different between us? If you, rem if you take away the harsh experiences that they faced, how would they and I react in the same way or do the same things in our career? So I question. Sangrita, it makes me think somehow I'm making the connection with when you talk about drive. And it's also not to do with intelligence, aptitude. A lot of people have achieved so much uh, strictly 
because they want to achieve a goal, that drive that motivates them without actually having to, to think about, do I have the physical prowess to do it? I just want to do it. Do I have the intelligence to be able to do it? I just want to do it. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah, that was sort of the link that I made as you were sharing that. You know, Dr. Um, Zeus, had, uh, Dr. Zeus said something that is one of my favorite quotes. That it is your attitude, not your aptitude, that determines the multitude. And I love it. Yeah. Not that was also, I thought Zig Ziglar had said that too. Oh, uh, way back. Maybe that was Zig Ziglar then. I get confused. Yeah, the, I, 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 it could be from Dr. Zeus, but I, I, I remember Zig Ziglar sharing oh, that uh, in, a, in yeah. a book of his. Yeah. Can you define presence for all of us? Presence is who you are, and presence is what people see in you. It is your energy, your emotion, everything that you are conveying verbally and non-verbally to the person in front of you. And I strongly believe that whatever it is that you've conveyed to the person in front of you, and if they feel a certain way, they, they see you in some way, that is your presence. You may not agree with what they see, what they hear, what they feel, but I believe you can't go and tell them you're wrong. No, you can't. Because presence is what people see in you as well. So to me, presence is the core of your identity. When you stand up on stage, when you're in a room, in a boardroom, in a negotiation, in a meeting, presence is about bringing your core identity to the surface and bringing it in a way with such confidence, such authenticity, that people see you for who you are and they respect you for who you are. That to me is presence. It uh, makes me think uh, about what Maya Angelou once said. Uh, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Right? That, that really uh, resonates with what you've just, just shared. Indeed, she Vivian? Is a wonderful woman. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, really and um, regarding uh, what you previously said before, how is it that people are not being their whole selves or are not able to bring their whole selves at work? What is it that maybe the culture maybe the environment. Sometimes the environment can be that people cannot express themselves. So they are uh, maybe having on a mask or living a double life at yeah. work. Well, I think, well, I firstly, I think that living in the Netherlands and living in the age where we live right now, we're in a very good time. So I think things are changing a lot. Kids these days, young graduates, they are so different. The, the, the setup is so different from when I was a student. But one of the things that was happening a lot in my time, but I sound like I'm a wizened philosopher, but one of the things that happened a lot was, and I still see it happening in many parts of the world, is you as a person are expected to fit into a job. You are supposed to fit yourself to the right resume, to the job, right job application, whereas I feel you need to find the job that fits you. So this starts really early on in childhood. It's not about who you are at work as a professional. That's way later in life. It starts much, much earlier in, in school as well. How appreciated are you for your non-academic talents? Or how appreciated are you for the subjects that are not the core subjects, like math and science? What if you're good in something else? Are you as equally recognized, rewarded, and appreciated for, for your efforts in that? So it starts from a very young age. So I believe that number one, as we start looking for work, we often try to 
fit ourselves to the right job. Yeah, when we when we um, when we heard you speak, Vivian and I yeah. uh, at the PWN event, uh, you came and spoke for us, and you mentioned about your grandfather, about yeah. how he he lived his ideals and created an unforgettable legacy. Can you shortly tell us something about your grandfather and the impact that he had on you oh, and my others? Grandfather. Yes, of course. Oh, I, I I misunderstood your question. Thanks for clarifying. Okay. My grandfather. Oh, I. It's, it's incredible. Um, it was three days before my TED talk that I realized I, it just came to me in ep- epiphany that I need to talk about my, I used to call him Dadaji. Well, I still do. I need to talk about Dadaji. The thing is, Dadaji passed away when I was two years old. And I barely have any memory of him. I, the only memory I have, and I don't even know if that's uh, wishful thinking or a real moment. I remember I was very little and I was sitting on his shoulders and he was holding my, my little feet in his hand and my hands were on his, uh, on his uh, head, his bald head. And we were laughing and he was laughing and we were in his um, garden. And that moment, every time I think of it, it brings me so much joy. And uh, when I told my mother about it, she said, it's okay. It doesn't matter whether it's fake or real memory. Just keep that moment in your heart forever. Dadaji was a very special man. I don't think there are many people in the world like him. Every person who has worked with him was so deeply impacted by him. He, I don't know how or why such people become the way they are uh, when they grow up. Um, he was such a responsible man. He, he took care of his whole family. You know, his father passed away very early. And he, was, he took care of his sisters. He took care of his brothers. He made sure the family was always united. When he became uh, an engineer, he studied in the Sheffield University, I think in 1956. That was his year. He did, uh, I think, uh, mining engineering. And then when he became an engineer in India, he, everyone still talks about him. It's, it's incredible. He grew to become the chairman of the, of the, he used to work in a coal fields company, the India's largest coal fields company. And he became the CMD, which is the chair managing director of the Eastern, Eastern Indian coal fields company. And now his juniors are really, really old. But whenever we meet them, because my mother also ended up being a doctor and working in the same industry. So we often meet his juniors now who are, you know, grandfathers and great grandfathers and have their own families. They always speak of him and in such a fond and loving way. I'm, I'm amazed that people still remember. They're still so emotional. The fact that they still call my mother for their family anniversaries and gatherings. My grandfather passed away in 1989. I mean, I don't, how many friends do we keep in touch with in this day and age? But to, to still remember someone so closely that you make sure their family comes to represent him, someone you didn't see for over 30 years. I think, what would I do to be like him? I think every day I, I can only hope to take one small step and get closer to having such a presence, such a legacy. He was so respected and so loved. And I think that's the greatest leadership of all, where you lead with love and respect, not with authority and fear. Not with a control and command, as we're so used to. 
yes. seen in so many organizations. What a beautiful role model he sounds like he was. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Sangrita. Thank you. Yeah, your grandfather reminds me a lot. Your story reminds me of my the, the relationship that I had with my grandmother. So I can totally relate to your story and missing using your grandfather as an example to uh, to excel in who you are, in your presence, in everything that you are for professional or also for personal, in your personal life. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> thank you. But I think it will take me, it'll, I'll need many, many lifetimes to be 10% of who he was. <laughs> so, but that's the thing, right? We're work in progress forever. Yeah. That's, that's true. So true. Yeah. That's true. What tips can you provide to teams and organizations to support their big vision to ensure that their presence is felt? I think the number one question that I would ask people is, what change do you want to bring? And this should be a real authentic response. Uh, oftentimes you hear people say, we want to make a difference in the world. I believe that's not true. I believe well, unless for the ones who really are focused on that particular element. But at the end of the day, every person has a very clear impact that they're bringing. What is, what is the small, big, whatever change that you're bringing into the world? Be able to define that change. The second thing that I always want to ask people is, what if I didn't allow you? What if you weren't allowed to share your job title or your bullet list of deliverables? How would you explain the value that you bring to people? How would you explain the value you bring to your customer or client if you're not allowed to say that you are a, I don't know, a project manager, if you can't say that you're working on these three technical de deliverables? Really, what is the value that you're bringing? What is the value that you're adding and standing for? So questions like these, I think, dig deep into... Uh, into true representation of whatever our vision is. Uh, many times I think, uh, and this is something I learned recently, the difference between an intention and a goal. A goal is very data-driven, but your intention, your intention is higher. So one of the things to ask people is, okay, what is your goal now that you know your goal? What is your intention for this goal? What do you intend to achieve with this goal? And when you ask that question, it opens a whole new chapter of, of insight. So I think the biggest um, information or, or the biggest feedback that I can give to companies in, in a minute or two right now is number one, be very clear on the value you add beyond your bullet list of deliverables. Number two, be sure on how you want people to feel because they're every, I mean, Whatever company you are, whichever kind of entrepreneur you are, be rest assured that there's thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who are doing the same thing as you, who will deliver the same value in terms of uh, results, who will have similar financial um, backing. So what sets you apart is that relationship with, that you have with your client or customer. So how do you want people to feel when they work with you? How do you define your value beyond your job title and your bullet list of sets? And what is the real change that you want to bring? I think with these three questions would be a good foundation to start with. 
Sangrita, I think those questions must often be very difficult for people to answer. They, they must have to dig very deep into themselves to, uh, to find those answers, but they, 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 they are the essence of how you can make a difference. Indeed. Thank you for sharing those tips. What is your future vision for an organization's culture, Sangrita? How do you see it? Every organization is different, so I don't want to generalize. It's very difficult to con compare a, a startup company with, um, with a more traditional and more formal corporate culture. Every company has its own, um, has its own feel to themselves. I think number one is to make sure at the end of the day, a company is not about results and it's not about products, it's about people. And now more than ever, companies should be worried because people with ideas, with creativity, with gusto, they're not afraid to take chances. So giving people a paycheck and expecting, expecting them to do everything and tolerate everything isn't going to work because there are 100,000 ways to earn money. We're not driven by salary alone. There are many ways to find stability because now people are looking for fulfillment. Now people are looking for purpose in their, in their work. They want to feel like the eight hours that they worked every day or more, heck, some of us work 15 hours a day, that that was valuable, that that was recognized, that, that they matter. So I think the number one responsibility of companies is to show their people that they matter, that we see you, we realize you, that you're doing an amazing job. And I believe that giving bonus with, uh, you know, rewards like money is not sufficient. In fact, this is a fascinating talk given by Professor Dan Ariely. He's a behavioral economist, also one of my favorite speakers in the whole wide world. He was in Amsterdam recently and he was talking about the psychology of money. And he links the, basically researches the connection between money, motivation, and work. And money actually is not the single greatest driving factor for people. So using the paycheck as a, um, you know, as the single soul uh, connection with your organization won't build a tribe. Build a tribe where people feel like they belong because at the end of the day, for humans, for, for us, we like to belong to something. We like to belong to countries. Many of us either could be religious, could be agnostic, whatever. We, believe, we like to belong to relationships. We love our friends. We have our families. We, everywhere you see, you see human beings form such deep relationships, then what is it about work that when it comes to a company, we say, oh, love thy job, not thy company. Why not? It is a tribe. So bring back the tribe, go away from transactional and go into tribal. That's what my quick feedback would be for the future of organizational culture. Wow, I love every word of it. I love it, especially the part where you are challenging uh, companies to become a tribe instead of just work. Mm. And I'm going to surprise you. What are the three core values companies need to have for future companies need to have? I wish I could answer this question, but honestly, this is not for me to answer because every it's like me telling you what are the three core values you should have. Who am I to judge who you are and who am I to tell you who you what you should be like? 
So with no offense to your question, I think that's a, I, I can see where the question comes from. But this is where perhaps someone else would have an answer for this, but I don't. And this is the reason why I'm, I, I always say that I'm on a quest, I'm on a discovery process, because every time I ask someone a question, like if I would ask 10 companies working for the same amount of time on the same topic with the same de promised deliverable, and I would ask them, what is the value that you stand for? Believe me, every one of them would have a different response. That's true. So, I think no, the, you, you still gave me an answer, even though you said you couldn't answer the question. You gave me an answer, so I'm glad that you still answered my question. I think at the base of it, of course, there should be trust and there should be transparency. But you'll be surprised by what people say. You, and this is the fun part about, about uniqueness. We, it, it's this unexplored path that has such amazing answers and and you, you will be so wonderfully delightfully surprised when you see how different each answer is and that's where people are different that's where companies are different i just hope and wish that they use their differences to stand out as opposed to you know copy pasting the same deliverables because oh there was a success story so we should replicate that Sangbrita, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. And to the listeners, if you have any questions and comments about this episode, share them with us on LinkedIn. And thank you for listening. Until the next time. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Go to Thrive Podcasts. Empower people to be happy before, during, and after work.